Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And that is <clears throat> really kind of the underlayment of everything we're going to talk about in the next series here. So, <clears throat> I am, this is going to be a little different. Number one, I don't have an outline for you guys. Uh, maybe uh, later on, once we kind of summarize everything, maybe I'll get an outline for you. <coughs> but right now, I don't have an outline. So if you want to take notes, you're on your own. Which I do encourage you doing, because, you know, I know how I am. I forget things, so. And uh, another way it's going to be different is I'm going to be kind of doing this um, expositorily. In other words, we're going to go verse by verse by verse, building the points as Paul uh, built the points. If you turn to Romans chapter 6, that's where we're going to be starting. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6 is where we'll start. But um, we're going to do this verse by verse. It's going to take, you know, um, as long as it takes. But um, I think there's um, important uh, truth in here that is very relevant for the body of Christ in the New, the New Testament church. Um, so before we even start, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, Lord, I just pray that you would take, Lord, you know, what I've prepared, I believe that uh, is the truth from your word, but Lord, just uh, put me aside and anything that I, I've uh, constructed myself without uh, leadership of your Holy Spirit, just put, put that all aside and help me to teach this passage in truth and that it would be helpful <coughs> to the people that are here, Lord, um, Lord, I know I'm nothing, and I know all the, all the frailties and the failures that I have, even in this as aspect that we're talking about. So, Lord, pray you just uh, enable me and just, just speak through me. Um, just let your word speak, and uh, pray you bless these people for being here today, and encourage and help them in their walk with you. <clears throat> we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Romans chapter 6. Let's, let's read the section that we're going to be starting off. I believe Romans 6 can be divided into two sections. We'll read the first section right now, and, and then we'll, we'll start uh, talking about it. Okay, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. The Bible says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, <clears throat> that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin, now, if we be dead with Christ, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more; death hath no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once; but in that He liveth, He liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The, the lesson I want to bring in the next, well, however long it takes, is this. It's going to be out of Romans 6, 7, and 8. And it's this. It's going to be victory in the battle between the flesh and the spirit. 
And I don't know about you, but I want to have victory over sin in my life. Um, and I hope you do too. And these three chapters have been a tremendous help to me to understand um, what the, well, number one, what, what, what the Lord expects of us. Number two, the reality of the struggles that we deal with. And number three, how to get the victory over them. And that's what we're going to be going over. Romans chapter 6, <clears throat> if I can kind of summarize it up front, it sets the expectations, I should say it sets God's expectations for us as believers when it comes to sin. It explains a few things about how our baptism into Christ made us dead to sin, alive unto God, and how we should live that way. And it's um, reiterated time, several times about the fact that we have a death, that we died, but we have a life that we can live. Um, and he, does, he mentions that a few times to illustrate several different points. And uh, later in the chapter, we'll deal with the second part later, so I won't go into that right now. But let's start <clears throat> in verse 1, and let's just look at this piece by piece, and we'll go as long as the Lord allows us to, and then uh, we'll quit. All right, Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says this. What shall we say then? Now, what's he saying? What's, he, what's, what's going on here? We're obviously jumping in the middle of a book, okay? We're in, we've gone five chapters in Romans. He says, what shall we say then? In other words, after all these things we've talked about, what shall we say then? Now, I didn't want to take the time to, to teach all the way through Romans. We'd be here for 12 years. Um, but um, Romans, Romans sets it up like this. Romans starts out with showing that no matter who you are, Jew or Gentile, you are under sin. All right? And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. The, the, the Jews that had a relationship with God, with their, the religion that God gave them, the sacrifices, the temple, the offerings, all that stuff, they are still under sin, just like the Gentiles are. And, uh, you know, he, go, he compounds that by saying, and yes, that sin makes you guilty before God. It's not okay that everybody's under sin. That sin makes you guilty before God. Um, and then he starts building the case of what Jesus Christ did for us. Once he establishes the case of Adam plunging the entire human race into sin, how that makes us guilty before God, <clears throat> he goes into chapter 5. Um, actually, you know, starts this in chapter, chapter 4, but he goes into chapter 5. Chapter 5 starts off with, therefore, being justified by faith. We, we have justification. In other words, we have been declared righteous, and he goes into how that is because of what the, the sacrifice of Christ imputed to us. We talked a little bit about that, and we're going to talk about it again, with being baptized into Christ imputes us with his righteousness, it imputes us with his death, and imputes us with his resurrection. That means it's credited to us, no merit of our own. That's a great thing. If I had to earn my righteousness, which many people try to do, I would fail miserably. And that's, that is the thing people need to understand, is that uh, earning your own way <clears throat> it just shows you don't have an understanding of who God is. God is so holy and so righteous that he looks at what he says our righteousnesses, our righteousnesses are as what? Filthy rags. So the best we can do, God looks at it as filthy rags. Now, I look at you and say, hey, that's a pretty good guy. That's a, that's a pretty good woman. And God says, it's filthy rags. So we have to be justified. And, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection for our sins does that. That's, that's an amazing thing. And, and, you know, it goes through chapter 5 about how we were enemies, and yet God commended his love toward us, and he died, Christ died for us, okay? So if, if you look now, he's, <clears throat> we look at this, at this phrase in chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? What are we going to say about things? So we, we know that we've been justified um, 
by, uh, by Jesus Christ. Now, if you look back at um, chapter 5, verse... <clears throat> let's look at verse 19. We know... Um, well, verse 19. It says this. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Whose disobedience is that? It's Adam. Okay, one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, who's that? Jesus Christ. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. I want to take a little aside here, by the way. Um, I like to point out these things. You know, a Calvinist will come and tell you this verse means many shall be made righteous. So that means not everybody's going to be, God hasn't chosen everybody to be made righteous. Do you see what the first half of the verse says? For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Who was that? Some people? It's all of them. Okay? So anybody who wants to get in on this thing can get on this thing just like everybody got in on the sin. Okay? So don't, don't give me this thing where God's pick, picked out a select few people because you, you misapply the word many in the Bible. Use the Bible to describe the word. It says many were made sinners. Well, many can be made righteous if they'll get in, get in Christ. Yes, sir? Well, that's, and that's the logical fallacy that they create when they, when they say things like that. So they, but they like to use that word many as in, well, God didn't choose all of them. Yeah, no, it's, it's all of them who want to get in. It's, their, it's a free will choice, okay? So that's an aside. That has nothing to do with the lesson. That was free, no charge. Okay, all right. So for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Now, if, if you look back at chapter... Uh, 3, verse, verse 19, <clears throat> this is what he's talking about. He's talking about this, this phrase right here. Chapter 3, verse 19 says this, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, whatever the law says, what God laid out in the law, it saith to them who are under the law, why? That every mouth might be stopped. So you're not going to have anything to say before God when you stand in judgment in front of him if you're lost. And all the world may become guilty. That's what the purpose of the law is, to show you and I that we're guilty. Now, if you're going to try to live by the law and gain your righteousness by the law, that's where you end up. Your mouth gets stopped and you're called, you're, you're judged, the verdict is guilty. Okay? So he says, verse 20 of chapter 5 again, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. In other words, the law came and it just showed us how bad our sin really was. It laid out God's law, his standard for righteousness, and it shows us how bad we are. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And this is the great thing. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That's, that is an awesome thing. Because I'm a sinner, and I have no way to pay for my sin. And if I did, I still would only be getting out of the penalty. I wouldn't get anything else, no benefit beside that. So not only did God show mercy to me in letting Christ die for my sins so I don't have to suffer that penalty, he rose again and gave me eternal life and justification and sonship with God and peace, of, peace with God and all these other things that we could talk about. It's grace. It's unmerited favor. God did that, and where sin abounds, which it does because of the law, God's grace abounds even more. And that, 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 that is, that is an, and we, and we need, I, I know the things I'm going to say following, I know um, we're going to kind of talk about the other side of things, but right now, understand, we need to understand that grace does cover all that, okay? Grace, grace abounds much more than sin. Okay, so where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Verse 21, that as sin hath reigned unto death, 
even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So this, this chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? He's just come off of that statement about, about grace. What shall we say then? It refers back to that verse 20 and, 20, 20, 20 and 21. Excuse me. It's, um, it's what the Bible called a gift of grace in chapter 5, verse 15. It's a gift, free gift, and, uh, and to anyone who can receive it. Um, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the conclusion about what he's getting, when he gets to the end of the chapter 5, the conclusion is that there is no uh, degree or there's no quantity of sin that grace cannot cover. And that's awesome. That is an awesome thing and that is the absolute truth. And that, that is the absolute truth. So he says in um, chapter 6, what shall we say then? Because grace can cover any and all sin. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's the question. Now, again, it's absolutely true that God's grace takes care of all sin. And now I am perfectly and eternally secure in him. So what shall we say to that then? Shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, God forbid... God's expectation is not for us to continue in sin once grace has covered our sin. Absolutely not. It's a resounding answer from Paul, God forbid. And it's not the only time he says it in this chapter, by the way. Um, It's absolutely not approved of God to continue in sin, though his grace can cover it. Now, Let's just look at it. I want to take some time. I think the bulk of the time we're going to take is just going to be dwelling on this, on this, this concept. And um, I don't think we're going to get out of verse 2, but we'll see. All right. Here's the, here's the thing. I, this, on the one hand, this is an obvious thing. We understand that God doesn't expect us to sin. And yet, I believe we become cavalier in our lifestyle knowing that the grace of God can cover our sin. And like I said at the beginning, I don't know about you, but I want victory over my sin. And does God expect me to continue in sin? Yeah, we, we, we hit this fuzzy area with this thing. We understand that God doesn't want us to sin, but we say, well, the grace of God covers my sin. So, well, God understands I'm just flesh. Uh, you're walking a really dangerous line there. I understand that God understands we are flesh, and yet we're going to learn through chapters 6, 7, and 8 that he gave us a way to overcome it. So he does not expect us to continue in sin. Like Paul said, God forbid. All right, now let's look at a few things. I want to show you a few things from the Bible about <clears throat> what the Bible says about just our behavior in sin. Okay, let's look at, let's just, we'll look at these in, in order as they appear in the Bible. Look back at John chapter 5. John chapter 5. You got about... Ten passages. We're just going to look it over and let the scriptures emphasize the point. John chapter 5 is the story of the man who was at the pool of Bethesda um, there. I believe it's 35 years, I believe. Um, 38 years, excuse me. 38 years he's there laying, can't move, trying to get down to this water to get healed, which is some weird thing. You know, I don't know whether that was the Lord or the devil doing that thing. 
Um, but he's not, he hasn't been healed in 38 years. And Jesus Christ comes along and in an instant heals him. And, uh, you know, he, he, Jesus Christ tells him, take up your bed and, and, and walk. And he does it. And it's the Sabbath day and the Pharisees get all bent out of shape because he's carrying his bed, all right? Um, <clears throat> and look at verse 12. And they asked him, what, what man is it that said unto thee, take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed, he that was healed, wist not who it was, for Jesus has conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Look at this. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple. Then said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more. Lest a worse thing come unto thee. Have we been made whole? He's going to call me on a... Go ahead, explain your, explain your answer. Okay. Spiritually. Has spiritually have we been made whole? Yeah, okay. Yes, we have. I knew someone was going to call me on that. <laughs> spiritually, have we been made whole? Absolutely. Your soul has been cleansed from sin and healed. Sin no more. That's God's expectation. Look over a couple chapters later in John chapter 8. <clears throat> John chapter 8 is the story of a woman who was taken in adultery in the very act the whole thing is contrived you know it is because the law says you're supposed to bring the man and the woman and they accuse her of being taken in the very act where's the man this is, this is set up by the Pharisees. You can bet that man is standing in the company right there somewhere, part of the whole Pharisee crowd, okay? But that's, that's another issue. But uh, they, bring her, they bring this woman and try to trap Jesus to either prove that he's without mercy or prove that he's going to break the law, all right? And uh, like Jesus does, knowing people's hearts, he wrote the book. You're not going to outwit him, Okay? <laughs> All right, and he stoops down, writes something on the ground. Of course, there's all sorts of speculations of what he wrote, uh, but it's kind of cool because it's the word writing some words in the ground. That's interesting. But um, the last time someone wrote something on the earth, it was God's hand on the tables of stone. But um, anyway, uh, so he says, those of you that are without sin, you cast the first stone. And look at verse 9, and they which heard it, being convicted of by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst. Was that woman guilty? Absolutely, she was. Now, maybe she had been entrapped, and, but she was guilty. She did it. it. It doesn't matter. She did it. Verse 10, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none other but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. So what does Jesus say? Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. She got forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. Was she guilty? Yes. Did she get forgiven? Yes. What did he say to her? Go and sin no more. Have we been forgiven? Yeah. What is God's expectation? Go and sin no more. All right, <clears throat> we've been healed, we've been made whole, we've been forgiven. The command is, go and sin no more. 1 Corinthians chapter 5.
If you know anything about the Corinthian church, Pastor Schott's been teaching about it. Um, They're carnal. They're full of divisions. They're spiritual babies. They're full of sin. And particularly, chapter 5 says it is reported commonly among... (laughs) Commonly. It's just right out there, man. Everybody knows this thing. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Fornication is sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage. Fornication among you. And such fornication as is not so much as is named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Now that's pretty gross. All right? But this is what's going on. And what does he say? Verse 2. And ye are puffed up. (laughs) About that? And have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from you. All right, now Paul says a few things about this. Um, Let's just read for the context. Verse 3, For I verily, as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present, concerning him that hath so done this deed, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, in my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, what does he say to do? To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the Spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That's, that's rough, but that's what the Holy Spirit told him to say to them. Verse 6, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven... Now, what's he talking about? The leaven. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. What's leaven? Yeah, well, in this case, he's referring to the sin that was, that was committed. Leaven is, is when you make bread, you put yeast in it, and it causes it to rise. It spreads through the whole lump of dough. And you put a little bit of leaven, and it just grows, and it builds. builds. So he says, a little... Leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So what's the solution? You got sin? There's sin in this church? He says, verse 7, purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. Okay? So he's obviously referring to a sin in a church, which, absolutely true, let's, put, let's turn it on us. You got a little leaven in your life? A little sin? What does he say to do with it? Well, it's okay, because the grace of God covers my sin. No, he says, purge it out. Get it out. Purge it out that you may be a new lump, okay? That's what he expects us to do. Look at uh, chapter 15 of the same book, 1 Corinthians 15. Look at Verse 34 says, Awake to righteousness and sin not. God, we mentioned this last week. God is always telling us to move. When you get saved, you're told to repent towards God. All right? He doesn't give you specifics of what to repent from. He just says, go towards God. Repent towards God. Whatever you're trusting in, whatever your confidence is in, whatever you're holding on to, okay, let it go and turn towards God. What does he say here? Awake to righteousness. The only way I can do that is to sin not. I can't sin and be righteous. Now, I understand we have the imputed righteousness of Christ. But as you can see, we're gonna, when we go through Romans 6, 7, and 8, we've we, we got a, a dichotomy going on here. We're going to have to deal with that today. But he says, awake to righteousness and sin not. That's the expectation. Wake up. Wake up 
Okay? If you're awake, you're going to see how bad the sin is, and you're going to see that you need to move towards righteousness. Look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> Where do you think Paul got the impetus to say, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. This is, what the, whole, this is the Holy Spirit's heart about this thing. Jesus Christ tells people, go and sin no more. You got forgiven, don't, 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 don't keep sinning. You, you, you were made whole, don't keep sinning. Purge out the sin that's there. Okay, and wake up. We, we need to be righteous. Wake up and, and, and sin not. Okay, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Speaking of the previous statements in chapter 6, he says, having therefore these promises, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. All right, so you're either working on holiness or you're working on sin. And what the Apostle Paul says to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is, you, we, should be per, we should be cleansing ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and spirit and perfecting holiness. All right? Uh, in light of God's promises, as a matter of fact, is what he says, having therefore these promises. What's one of the promises we just talked about? We got the grace of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that we got that. That's a promise. So let's cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Let's do it. All right? Ephesians chapter 4. In light of the fact that you've been made whole, in light of the fact that you've been forgiven, in light of the fact that you don't want to corrupt a church or your own life, in light of the fact that God's telling us to wake up to righteousness, in light of the fact of all the things God has promised us, we're told to not sin. We're told to cleanse ourselves from that stuff. Ephesians 4.26. Ephesians 4.26. Kind of a controversial verse. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be ye angry. I don't want to teach a whole lesson on this, but that, be ye angry. Do you know there's some things you need to be angry about? If you're not angry about some things, you got a problem. I'm just going to be blunt and say that. If you're not angry about some stuff, if you don't see what goes on, and I try not to watch any of it, but it's, sometimes it's just there, See what's going on in the news, child trafficking, drugs, wars, corruption. If you're not angry about that, you've you got to check yourself out, man. Come on. Yeah. All right? Now, there's rules about anger. You're not supposed to let it, you're not supposed to dwell on it all day long into the next day. That's, you know, you're not supposed to, you know, and one of the things it says here, be ye angry and sin not. You're not supposed to let righteous indignation turn into some kind of sin, do you know when it turns into sin? It's when it turns into wrath. The Bible says the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. It's when you start taking action on your anger. What does the Bible say about vengeance? It's God's, not mine. So if I get angry righteously, and I can do that without the right things, I'm not supposed to sin. And as a matter of fact, I'm not supposed to let it go. I'm not supposed to, let it, um, I'm not supposed to keep it. I'm supposed to put it away. But um, I'm not supposed to sin when I get angry. There's sometimes circumstances legitimately happen to us and it could provoke you to act in the wrong way and sin. So be angry, but sin, don't sin when you're doing it. Yes, sir. You know, like, <clears throat> we 
Absolutely. Well, that's the point. He says, be angry. Whatever you do, don't sin. It's not supposed to be, you know, what, we're, what the anger is causing us to do is not supposed to be causing us to sin. Absolutely. Yeah, not, absolutely. There is some action we're supposed to take about it. Let's, let's turn, again, let's turn this back on ourselves. Let's talk about the sin, sin makes us angry, right? Does our sin make us angry? How about that? Yeah, let, let's, let's, tur- let's turn that around, okay? Yes, you should be angry about the sin that's going on in the world. How about the sin that's going on in your heart? How about the sin that's going on in my heart? Yes, sir. <laughs> I love the way Amanda looks every time you raise your hand. <laughs> you are, <laughs> but that's fine. That's fine. Look, yeah, you want to preach this? <laughs> you're taking my points, man. But yes, you're correct. Absolutely correct. And you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to talk about all that. Yeah, absolutely. We're just going to talk about what we're talking about now is God's expectations. Okay? This is what his expectations are. And yes, he does. I don't want to jump ahead, but yes, you're correct. Absolutely correct. All right. Although with that tongue thing, no man can tame it, but God can. God can tame it. Right, but that's what that, that's what we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna hit, we're gonna hit that we're gonna hit that so, all right so yeah so our you know circumstances especially with this particular verse, anger, it's not supposed to cause us to sin. He says there's some things that legitimately raise your ire, your emotions. Emotions are not wrong. Does it cause you to sin? We could we could we could broaden that scope to do your emotions cause you to sin? It says it's not supposed to. Okay, God gave you emotions. It's all right. Do you let the Holy Spirit keep them in check, or does it, does it cause you to sin? All right, and God says, no, don't, don't, don't be angry and sin not. All right, um, Hebrews chapter 12, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12. All right, we got to move because Jeff's taking up all my time. No. <laughs> No, no, no. I'd rather I'd rather get through one verse and have everybody discuss what we're talking about and understand it than try to plow through ten points and everybody's not got no one's gotten anything. So all right. Hebrews chapter twelve, verse one. We've just gotten through a list of people that lived by faith. <clears throat> As an example to us. Hebrews chapter twelve, verse one says, wherefore, again, pointing back to the chapter previous, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are those witnesses? Everyone that lived by faith. Abel, uh, Abraham, Moses, uh, you know, all, all those, Sarah, all those people. Those are the witnesses to faith and how they lived. Seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Now, there's a whole message in this verse, but I'm not, I'm not going into it right now. What I want to point out is God expects us to lay aside, in light of others who have completed their race successfully. Now, here's an interesting thing. Did any of those people in, in, in Hebrews, this kind of touches on what you're talking about. We're not going to get to it yet, but this touches on it. Hebrews chapter 11, did any of those people sin? 
Absolutely. Where is it in chapter 11? You don't see one sin of these people mentioned. Do you know why? Because he's talking about their faith. So, in light of that, these cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that's thus so easily beset us. Let's lay it aside, okay? And, you know, <clears throat> sometimes it's easier to lay aside the sin. It's not so easy to lay aside the weight, but that's another, that's another message. 1 John chapter 2. <clears throat> First John chapter 2. Again, this touches both sides of the matter. Like Jeff brought up. First John chapter 2. Hebrews, James, first and second Peter, first John. First John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you. Why did God write this book? that ye sin not. That's why we have the words of God in our hands, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, okay? But let's go back to Romans 6.1. We have the advocate. We have grace. Should we continue in sin? God forbid. He says, I wrote these things so that you don't sin. All right? Well, and, you know, we're going... Uh, we won't go back there for the sake of time, but Roman, back in chapter 6 of Romans, uh, of Romans, verses 12 and 13, talk about don't let sin reign in your body. Don't yield your members to sin. And again, he says in verse 15, should we continue in sin? God forbid. He says it again. All right? The expectation of God is for us to stop sinning and not let it have dominion in our lives. All right, now, I, I know, we're, we're dealing with one side right now, and we're going to deal with this. You, you probably got a million questions, but, but I get it. Right now, we're setting God's expectations. If God gives you an expectation, he gives you the means to fulfill it. He does, but that's, that's later on in chapter 8, okay? But we're going to learn how to do this, all right? All right, now, here's the thing. If you want to read all these verses and still say, well... You know, the grace of God covers my sin. It's fine. God understands. I'm just human. <clears throat> to make a plea like that to the grace of God is to identify with the people in Jude. chapter, uh, chapter Any chapter you want. Jude. Look at Jude. Right before the book of Revelation. Jude 4. If you want to sit there and say, it's okay because God's grace covers my sin, I'm not trying to be nasty, but this is who you're accompanying with. Verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. That's unrighteous, immoral, Godless behavior. They're using God's grace and turning it into that. That is not what we ought to be doing with the grace of God. Does it cover our sin? Yes, it does. Is that our attitude towards it? It better not be. All right? Look at 2 Peter, back a couple books. 2 Peter, chapter 2.
just for sake of time, just this verse, verse 14. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a close parallel to Jude. Again, talking about um, ungodly men. It says, verse 14, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. Cannot cease from sin. Who are they? Verse 10, chiefly them that walk after the flesh. We're going to talk about this in chapter 8. All right? People that walk after the flesh. You just do whatever this flesh wants and you walk after that thing. Last one, 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. <laughs> I know, I, I know. Dave, can you go back to the baptisms? <laughs> that was a lot more interesting. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 20. If you want to let grace cover my sin and I'm just going to do whatever I want and I'm okay with it and you think God's okay with it, number one, you're associating yourself with ungodly men, those that walk after the flesh that cannot cease from sin. And the Bible says here in 1 Timothy 5.20, them that sin rebuke before all. I'm sorry, but the Bible says you deserve a rebuke. And if I think that way, I deserve a rebuke. God does not accept that. All right, now, so, so you say, well... <laughs> what am I going to do about that? All right. We're going to wrap up with this verse 2. We only got two verses, but that's okay. Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. I think it's pretty evident from Scripture that God forbids that. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That's what we're going to pick up next week. But uh, God gives you a solution, a remedy for this thing. And uh, I'll, I'll just jump right ahead. It's, it's, to, it's not to walk after the flesh. It's to walk after the spirit, okay? And uh, the only way to do that is to bury yourself in this book and submit yourself to God. But we're going to talk about the mechanics of that. But that's where we are right now.